Winnaker Weekly is a three-episode-in anime discussion podcast where two brothers discuss a show of their choice. The show can be anything from a current season flop to a decades-old classic. What are they going to talk about next? Who knows? They sure don't. into it uh so uh funny enough the the bit of news we wanted to share with you this week uh you found it so you can go and do it but it's related to the show we're talking about this week uh yes as it turns out they have announced a uh a release of the movie of uh the saga of tanya the evil this coming february uh the article itself uh detailed um information about a voice cast for it yeah um, let's see yeah, just uh, they just announced a new voice cast for it, and uh, they just dropped the uh, uh, a promo trailer for it. Good deal. So. They also they also had a promo trailer for the Konosuba movie, um, but really all it was was some voice clips over like some panning shots of the poster, and I'm just like, that's a pathetic promo trailer, you guys. Yeah, that's that's that's. What happens when trailers get so meta that they have to release trailers for trailers? Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't go that far, because where does it stop? Mm-hmm. Well, we we will. Here's the trailer announcing that we will announce the date for the trailer in an upcoming trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's get right into the the show then. You bet. And like we said earlier, this week we were talking about saga, the saga of Tanya the Evil. And since you picked it, you get to go ahead and read the description. All right. Okay. So, the saga of Tanya the Evil. It is June of the year current era nineteen twenty three. A young girl with blonde hair and blue eyes, Tanya. Degerchoff has entered the final curriculum of the Imperial Academy and is training a third patrol line in the northern military district of the Norden in the northern in the northern military district, the Norden Theater, as part of her service to the force. Her training, the first step towards a brilliant career as an aviation mage, should have gone off without a hitch, but things took an unexpected turn. Okay, so take an unexpected turn. So this show starts off right in with the action with World War One style trench warfare. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the educated viewer, it starts off in the year 1928, is what it says, mm-hmm. and World War One ended before then. Yes. Yeah. So it's clearly an alternate world. Mm-hmm. And something that really caught my eye immediately was when they introduced the two magical girls. Mm-hmm. Tanya and uh, her more innocent counterpart. Did you catch her name? Nope. Okay. I didn't keep track of the names this time. I just didn't have the chance to. So. Right. Um, well, her innocent friend uh, is the first one to show up in terms of the magical girls. Like, everybody else is at ground troops, uh, running out of trenches, getting shot in the head. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. standard PG-13 fare in terms of uh, violence. Mm-hmm. Um, when... Uh, and the animation style, everybody's got, you know, the grim, stoic face of a war period piece. 
except for the uh, except for the girl who's got big big blue eyes huge massively big eyes i mean even for anime standards they just were huge Mm -hmm. uh and and so it really kind of threw me off guard and i thought you know maybe there's something about being magical that was um what was going on here uh and then when we introduced to tanya her eyes are uh are just as big but then a little later we're introduced to male mages whose eyes are standard size so Mm -hmm. it just seems to be these two girls have these massive these massive very expressive eyes yes trying to think if we've actually met any other women uh, adults so far. adults adults yeah we, we, we've, well, inti- we've now we find out that tanya at this time is somewhere between the ages of eight and ten she's around ten yeah mm-hmm. she's around ten well we we know okay we know that she that in this incarnation she was born in 1913 mm-hmm. well let's and, let's and this takes place and and the episode starts mm-hmm. off in 1923 mm-hmm. so she's about ten I'm gonna at least according to the description. Okay. Okay. Well. Mm, pa- yeah. Okay. I don't. Anyways, let's just let's just just move on. I, it's hard for me to say that she was born in 1910 because no, 1913 or ni- ni- 1913 because it's what they usually show the timestamp at the beginning of a scene, not at the end of the scene. They showed that timestamp when she was a small child already rather than being she, she, brand, she was an infant being spoon fed so i thought but it they was showed within that, that year. to me they showed but they showed that timestamp at the beginning of the next scene not the scene where she was born they never actually showed a timestamp for when she was born not the day she was born but she was an infant being spoon fed yeah when, and that mm-hmm. was the timestamp for that scene okay we're going to have to disagree on that so for me the timestamp was at the beginning of the next scene not during that scene so anyway, uh, anyway, um, so we see that the um, uh, we see that uh, there's there's the four mages are and um, they are currently putting up shields to defend themselves mm-hmm. against uh, against Ar- enemy fire artillery mm-hmm. shells. Yeah, coming their way. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, shoot, we lost our train of thought. Well, no, so they're. So they're fighting in this mm-hmm. battle, and Tanya's in charge. She's the commander of the unit, and um, the two adult male mages disobey her direct order to go and wipe out the artillery, mm-hmm. um, which puts an obvious um, look of disgust and disdain on her face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cut to, so so they're being successful at destroying the artillery, but cut to later that day, that evening, in their uh, in their base camp. Mm-hmm. And Tanya is chewing them out and says, you guys are being reassigned. Um, I have no use for officers who don't follow the rules. Right. And you're getting off easy. And uh, the two young officers, the two men, start arguing, saying, we volunteered for frontline service. We want to be on the front line. And uh, our only options are victory or death. Yeah, that's what we signed up for: victory or death. And um, Tanya is starting to get very, very upset, and it looks like she's about to take them up on the on the death offer. Puts her hand on her sword handle. Mm-hmm. Puts her hand on her sword handle, and she's revealed that she's a second lieutenant at this point, um, which is why she's also in an officer's uniform rather than the listed uniform that the that the other mages are in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other girl. Um, 
uh, sees that Tanya's getting extremely upset and uh, calls out to her and uh, calls out to Tanya and Tanya cools down like just cools down instantly and that made me wonder if that girl had some sort of connection to Tanya to uh, help you know has control help Tanya rein in her her anger mm -hmm. we see that's definitely not the case Tanya's definitely her own person and this girl is just kind of you know one of her subordinates for the time right um, but anyway so she then says well I will go ahead and take your thoughts under consideration. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, we find out a little later that they were assigned to a um, a bunker. Mm -hmm. They were assigned rear rear line bunker duty. Yes, mm -hmm. where they uh, were a still shot of them playing poker and being incredibly bored mm -hmm. um, with a couple other uh, infantrymen. Mm -hmm. Um. And then we get um, Tanya, and the, the girl is exhausted. She's absolutely exhausted. Not yeah. Tanya, but the girl. Yeah. Um, and she's fallen asleep on her feet. Tanya's, you know, uh, trying to keep her keep her in line, mm -hmm. uh, telling her that she needs to get better sleep, telling her that she needs to eat more, telling her that she needs to, um, that you know, she just needs to shape up. That this is the front lines. We can't have sloppy soldiers. That's right. Um, and Tanya, she, um, anyway, um, and so there's a scene, the scene just following that was, um, the commander, um, gearing up for a major, uh, assault of some kind and there's Tanya also, suggesting that the girl mage being right before, right before that we see a scene where they're, where they're patrolling around mm -hmm. and then the girl mage falls out of the sky because she's too exhausted to keep flying. Right. And that's when Tanya sees what's happening, sees yeah. them gearing up for an attack or something and, and turns around. Mm -hmm. And then we have the scene with them discussing. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and then Tanya outs her colleague as being too weak to be uh, to be part of whatever this soldier is. She and doesn't word it that way. She said that she's pushed herself to the limits and she can't function properly in the front lines now. Yeah. So... But the girl gets upset and, and demands to be included in this and says that she wants to be out there, mm -hmm. which to me was throwing up, you know, red flag death death flags. I totally thought she yeah. was, that, you know, I was like, well, she's going to die. Um, yeah. But her hair wasn't in a, uh, a ponytail over the left shoulder. Well, so. that's only if they're a mother. That, that's the mother is going to die. That's the mother is going to die haircut. That is not the... Um, the cute protagonist is going to die. Yeah, that's not the cute friend of the protagonist is going to die. Not, not the mm. Sachi haircut. No. No, that's not the Sachi haircut. Um, anyway. Um, but she's dead now. <laughs> Sachi. Not like that dumb chick Sally. Sachi. Sachi. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She's, she's dead, dead now. now. Not like that dumb chick Sally. Sachi. It doesn't matter. She's dead now. Yes, we've said that three yep. times now. Anyway, it's so, so horrible. Anyway, so yeah, she she the mm -hmm. the brunette with the big eyes demands to be assigned to this particular rescue operation mm -hmm. uh, because it is a rescue operation. There are men on the front lines that are under heavy fire and they need backup support, and that's what this mm -hmm. this is. Um, now, and, and she demands to be part <sighs> of it, and it was uh, Tanya's objection that. She can't. She can't have somebody on the team who would not only fail fail at their mission, but that she'd come back with fewer people than she left with. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so Tanya's wording is incredibly cold and hearted. But if it were taken into, but if you take out the context of how cold hearted she is, 
you do get the sense that she didn't want this particular individual to die. Mm-hmm. But you also find out that the reason she didn't want this particular individual to die is it would reflect badly on her command. Mm-hmm. So she's mm-hmm. completely selfish. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Tanya's completely selfish, um, and and you're learning that as the as the episode progresses. Uh, so they go out on this mission. Yes, uh, it's her and um, there were it was there wasn't very many people with her. It no, was, it was a small group of of, their of support mages, mages. Of yeah. support mages, um, and they were. Um, Oh, that's that's right. Okay, so what's happening is that they they need to go and they need to save these soldiers who are being pounded by enemy artillery. Yes. Um, and um, the enemy mages are positioned in a way to where whenever one of the empire's mages tries yes. to fly up into the sky and to observe the battlefield, they get shot out of the sky immediately. Right. And the... now we we should say at this point there's uh, significant iconography that implies that Tanya and her and the empire that she's part of is of German mm-hmm. um, origin. Mm-hmm. And so this mm-hmm. is an alternate reality version of Earth during the mm-hmm. period of time between World War One and World War II. Yeah. But um, they're also being they're being invaded on all sides from what appear to be forces from England, France, Russia, and Italy. And based on mm-hmm. uh, based on some aerial uh, based on some maps mm-hmm. that they showed uh, were going on with the yeah, th- military they, they kind of explained that they had this they they had uh they had a front like the, they were waging war on all fronts pretty much on all yeah. sides of their country um and they had this unit that was supposed to be a super advanced very mobile combat unit mm-hmm. that could go from front to front defeating the enemy yeah well everybody else's job was just to hold the line yes um well that failed and yeah. um, they are now um, seen, and now their uh, lines are failing, and now and their lines are failing because of it. Um, anyway, uh, so she then she and these other mages, it's their jobs to save these soldiers mm-hmm. to get them out of there. Um, but um, the other made uh, the um, the alliance mages or whatever they called themselves, the compact mages or whatever. Um, they decided that they were tired of waiting and just picking off mages as they were flying up, um, and decided they wanted to go ahead and release their own explosive magic, uh, and just wipe them out inside the trenches. Yes. And so they fire their, their guns start going purple, which is a kind of a real cool effect that they have where they're casting magic, they're focusing it into the, into their guns and they fire their, their bullets and those bolts become explosives. Yeah. So so magically, magically they're able to turn what appeared to be world war one hand rifles, single action, bolt action rifles Mm -hmm. into the equivalent of artillery cannons. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, they, they they have this, they, they glow with a purplish hue or a gold hue, depending on what spells being cast on them. It Mm -hmm. seems, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, well, the, so the enemy forces, the, which are referred to as uh, the Republicans, mm-hmm. be, being whatever, uh, so uh, some republic, republic of some, some republic is invading their empire. Mm-hmm. So they're the imperialists and the Republicans is what there is the what the subtitles addressed these two factions as. Mm-hmm. And so these this unit of uh, mages in the Republican army um, decide. You know what? The, we can go ahead and use up most of our magical power and just wipe out this mm-hmm. tr- this particular trench. 
Yep, and so they do that. Well, their their commander tells them to stop, not do that, to conserve their power, and like, oh, whatever, let's go ahead and do it. And so they, they ignored their commander and used their magical power to wipe out the enemy defenses. Um, and they were going to return to base with their victory after that mm-hmm. when Tanya's unit showed up. Yeah. Her platoon showed up. And so now then now Tanya's unit is now aware that they failed at their mission. They didn't arrive in time to save the front line that they were sent to rescue. But there was this um but now they're they so there was just the four of them, Tanya, um four or five of them, I don't remember I think it was five. Uh Tanya, the big eyed girl, and then three other mages mm-hmm. um, come to where there are, what was there, nine or twelve of these other guys. There uh, were twelve. And, and mm-hmm. what, now, something that was interesting to me in this combat was that the, the twelve of the Republicans were in some, on something that looked like a, um, a metallic horse-shaped sled mm-hmm. was their aerial vehicles, whereas what uh, Tanya seems to have is they have a single boot rocket. With a, uh, a support pack uh, mm-hmm. mounted to their belly, mm-hmm. um, which made sense to me on a uh, on a logistical standpoint, because uh, something that you know the way that um, when you put rockets on both feet, if they go in any direction apart from each other at all, you rip somebody in half. Mm-hmm. So yeah. having it on one foot actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's they just focus their magical abilities into whatever is generating that that thrust, and yeah. that's how they fly. And it turns um, out that what that is is explained further in episode three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But right, but yep. episode one really just gives us right into the action of what is going on, and then the first, the next two episodes, we'll be able to delve more into how she got to that place. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, Tanya then says something like, "Well, it's frowned upon for them." For like I wasn't able to save any of the sol- any of the soldiers, so that was probably gonna cost me a promotion. Um, but uh, but we're here, so I'll go ahead and engage the enemy. Should we just retreat now? No, we're within firing range of the enemy. If we oh, retreat, that's... we put ourselves at danger. Yep. So they need to. Uh, so it, it's fight at this point, and so she orders the other four of them to go ahead and take out one platoon on their own, and she'll handle the other three. Yeah. And she. Uh, and she does just that. I mean, she there's just this awesome, awesome scene where um, they see uh, this yeah. tiny little girl, this ten year old girl, flying towards them, and uh, she just massacres these soldiers. And it's it's <laughs> the anim. They spent. They clearly spent a lot of money on the animation of this fight scene. It is some of the best animated. Um, combat that i've seen the the, mm-hmm. the aerial combat stylings of what was going on the facial expressions the motion mm-hmm. the, the, but they did such a good job of helping you keep track of where everybody was even though everything was happening up in the sky and it's very easy it, the editing is uh, is a master class mm-hmm. in this show because they they do wonderful with the mm-hmm. editing on this show um but yeah, uh, the the fight was just uh, just a poetry in the air. It's fantastic. And she, but but yes. Yeah, so and uh, she defeats uh, several of them, and then she starts uh, climbing high uh, with her with her jetpack. She starts going super high, and the other soldiers start chasing after her. Um, there are surviving soldiers chase after her, mm-hmm. and the, uh, but they only reach to about uh, six thousand uh, meters in the sky. 
Yes. Um, before their engines start to overheat, they're like with the machine, the, they they've reached maximum altitude. They've reached maximum altitude. We can't go any higher. And mm-hmm. they look up and they see that she's at ten thousand feet. So she's a good four or ten thousand meters. Yeah. She's a good four thousand meters ahead of them, mm-hmm. and she starts talking to them. And oh, oh, one thing that's that's interesting um, that I noticed in the first episode, but didn't realize the importance of it until later, was uh, every time she casts a spell, she prays. Yes, she says. Whereas something. the other people don't. The other yeah. the other mages don't. They just cast their spells. And something else is that every mage. So one of the ways you can tell what a mage is is they have these ice blue irises. Mm-hmm. Except for the girl with the big eyes, hers are a little bit deeper shade of blue, but most mages, including Tanya, have ice blue irises. That turn gold when they start using magic. Yes. Mm-hmm. But hers turn... Well, hers absolutely turned... I thought hers turned gold when she prayed. I didn't think the other mages turned gold when they used magic. No, if you... If you like, I, did, I didn't make a note of it, but I did notice during the fight scenes mm-hmm. that the mages' eyes that were flying around, even the enemy mages, their eyes were gold. Okay. So their eyes turn gold when they cast magic. Hers turn gold when she's praying. Mm. So that's just one of the things in the world when they cast magic, their eyes turn gold. Okay. So. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, and so she flies up and she pretty much says, how dare you attack our holy land? Huh. This is our country and you will be punished and God will smite you for encroaching upon our sacred land. Re- retreat now or you will be destroyed. Yes. Type thing. And it cuts down to the brunette girl again, who's just like, oh, she's so patriotic. <laughs> and then it cuts back to... to... Just the naivety of this mm-hmm. little poor sweet thing. Well, yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, we did forget to mention that Tanya says it's tough being a salary man as she goes off to fly fight the, the three platoons on her own. Yeah. And the brunette says, what's a salary man? And we find out why that happens in episode two. Uh-huh. So it's just a little bit of hint of who Tanya really is. Mm. Um, but anyway, so Tanya... And that's something else that if, mm-hmm. if if I were more fluent in Japanese, I may have noticed more that Tanya is using modern day speak in a period piece. Um, no, that doesn't really stand out that much. Like, everyone's language works just fine. She just said... She just says words that they wouldn't know what they are. Like, she said sarariman, which means salaryman. It's just, uh-huh. you know, it's a businessman. In yeah. Japan, um, they wouldn't know what that is in World War One Europe, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, she. Um, anyway, she, uh, but the, then t- the, the, the soldiers shoot at her, and it, yeah, she, she offers yeah she offers them a chance to retreat, mm-hmm. and they fire at her. So no negotiations, huh? Well, and they fire at her, and it passes through, and it realizes they realize that they were shooting at a, at an illusion. Mm. Um, so they were shooting at her. Uh, and then the real her appears, and she mm. casts her spell, and her gun starts glowing gold, and um, she fire and she casts this massive, massive spell, and just pulls the trigger on her gun, and there's this explosion that just rips through the air. Mm. That if the shockwave of it didn't kill you, the gases created by it. Yeah, would the, just... o- yeah the, the subtitle read that the oxygen deprivation or carbon monoxide poisoning. Would get you. Would get you. And then all the soldiers, you just saw their corpses falling. All the mages, all their corpses were just flying out of the sky after yeah. that point. It was just a massive explosion. Mm-hmm. And something we realized was that one of the reasons she went so high up is so that that explosion wouldn't hurt the land below them. Uh, it wouldn't hurt her. She wouldn't get her troops killed. Right. Because, again, she's selfish and she doesn't want to appear to be a bad soldier. No. Yeah. Um, But then... uh. 
there she like uh we then cut to a scene like there's a there's a couple of there, there's two scenes that are in, that are intercut together at the end of the the episode uh there's a scene at the camp where a commander is giving a letter to the brunette and he's and he's saying that uh um artillery shell hit the bunker that those two men were assigned to mm -hmm. and they're dead and she's yeah. she's super upset about it and she wants to know if tanya knows and he says probably not i just barely got the report myself Right, um, and so and, she goes in to talk to Tanya, and she goes in to talk talk to Tanya, and then we cut to the commanders at a, at a meeting, and they're talking about oh this terrible battle where we were losing it all got turned around because of one mage. I'm like oh that's incredible. What ma what mage was it? And they say that oh it's uh, Tanya so and so of mm. the Silverwing, and yeah. they're just like wait. And then one of the mages, one of the like lieutenant generals, is just mm. like wait what? Her really? No, really. She was there, and they're like, "What's the big deal about her?" And he's like, well, "You've met her once, haven't?" He's like, "Yes, I did meet her. I met her when I was, uh, when I was, um, uh, I met her back when she was still a, a cadet." Mm -hmm. And there's one thing I learned about her absolutely at that uh, when I met her. And then it cuts to the girl talking to Tanya, and Tanya's and it's like, mm -hmm. "I got a, uh, I have a report about so and so," and Tanya says, "Let me guess, they're dead." She's like, "Wait, how did you know?" And she's just like, they are in a stationary object at the at the end of uh, uh, at the back of our lines. It's a it's too good of a, it was too good of a target for artillery to miss uh, for, for enemy artillery to avoid. And the girl's like, wait a minute, you knew this was going to happen, didn't you? You knew that they were going to die in there. And it cuts to Tanya, grinning to the uh, Tanya looking to the side, and then it cuts back to that general, and he says that other, the one thing that he knew about her that was absolute. That Tanya is the devil in the form of a girl. And it cuts back to Tanya. And she just has this grin. And it zooms up on her eye. And her eye just starts... Glow, go, goes red. And like... I kind of, like the edges of it kind of split apart and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really, really cool. A yeah. really good shot. Yes. And that's the end of episode one. <laughs> um, okay. Um, episode two starts off um, very differently. Mm-hmm. Because episode two starts off in 2013 modern day Japan, our world, mm -hmm. and it introduces this main, it introduces this character who is a salary man whose job it is is to lay off useless people. It is his job to uh, companies hire him to go through the process of getting rid of unnecessaries. Uh, that's or just that, that's his position. At that company. Well, that, that's part of his job. That wasn't I, the entire thing, but it was part of his job. It was definitely part of his job. He reminded me a bit of the Bobs from Office Space. Okay. And how the, and how how other people react to him. And like in particular, there was this one guy who was really nervous. He had a mortgage. He was paying his daughter's tuition. What am I going to do if I if I lose my job here? Can't you take mercy on me? And... and and he just and says he, he you, takes none. He he lists all of his faults of why the company's letting him go. So like and you missed work multiple times without letting us know, and you've been warned multiple times to improve your quality of work here, but you haven't. So tell me, why should the company keep you? Yeah. So, and he just gives him a pamphlet that's supposed to help him find a new job and mm -hmm. sends him on his way. And so he go so he goes off and um, is planning out his future. Uh, when he ends up in a subway station, and we see the guy that he had just laid off going crazy and pushing him in for, into an oncoming train. And time stops. 
and time mm-hmm. stops for probably a good five minutes mm-hmm. of the show as different and so mm-hmm. uh what oh, well, was it we, we 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 learn before he gets pushed in the training we see kind of a montage of the kind of person that he is and he's just yeah. a nasty nasty person yeah he's he, no good at all so he, he's the kind of person who who delights in the process of climbing a corporate ladder regardless of who he steps on he he is a corporate psychopath mm-hmm. um of which we we know that those exist mm-hmm. i mean um there, there was a TED talk I listened to a while back that talked about uh, the psychopath test and identifying who is being able to identify who is one, and the fact that uh, uh, corporate lifestyle and ruthlessness and cor- corporate ruthlessness mm-hmm. is actually a breeding ground for is mm-hmm. a place where psychopaths mm-hmm. thrive, and like one in four CEOs pass the psychopath test because of it. Mm-hmm. But um, um, but so. you mean fail the psychopath test? No, well. Pass the psychopath test as in check you are a psychopath. Gotcha. Um, so time freezes uh-huh. and um, we see a couple of things as the camera goes around here. One of those things you wrote down that you wanted to go ahead and mention. Oh yes. Um, as the camera passes around, what there we notice that a far poster. Uh, 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 there's a poster on the subway wall amidst other ones. Where this one was the one with the most detail was for Overlord, the anime. Mm-hmm. And something I absolutely loved about that bit of detail is um, one of the 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 group, uh, Myth and Royd, who do the music for Overlord's opening and closers, also did the music for this, this show. Opening, opening and closer. And yep. so while so they're two different studios, um, and it's it's a fairly new studio, Studio Nut. Is the one producing uh, the saga of Tanya the Evil, but it's the same. Um, the same group is doing the music for both, mm-hmm. um, and I'm just wondering what other carryovers they ha- what o- what other relationship these two studios might have with one another. Oh, well, um, it's 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 being made by Nut, but it's being produced by Kadokawa. Okay, and like, so so it's a, so it's a, a group parent company. So two uh, different two different animation studios, but a parent company that. Well, uh, Myth and Royd, thats just the name of a band. It is I the mean, name of a band, but you you uh-huh. mentioned uh, you mentioned a different company, Totokawa, I think. Ka- Kadokawa. 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 They're the ones who are producing it. Uh-huh. Um, Kadokawa, like they, they're they're a huge group. They're into anime, manga, books, a whole bunch of stuff okay. in in Japan. So they, so, so the same parent company had may have both IPs that are working on. Possibly. Okay. Po- possibly, I haven't I haven't looked it up. But Myth and Royd is just a band. I mean, yeah, they, it's, not like, it's not like they are contracted to do work for just one studio. No. So, but the fact that the poster is in one, the poster for a different anime is in this anime. Yes. Implies. Mm-hmm. I'm not. The, the band just happens to be a okay. tertiary detail. Okay, that is where I got caught up because okay. it sounded like we were still talking about the band and, still, and not the poster. No. Um. Yeah. No. With, like, definitely Overlord would be. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Katakawa that mm. that also does Overlord as that well. Right. So yeah. Um, who knows, maybe it was subliminal messaging for an Overlord project coming up. Um, anyway, um, so you saw that, and then he has a conversation with a being that he starts, that he begins to call being X. Yes. Because he refuses to believe that God exists. Because he's of the personality that if bad things exist, therefore God doesn't exist. Right. Because God wouldn't allow things like this to happen. 
juvenile thinking, but you know, whatever. Um, anyway, he, um, but, but he, he lists out all, what's great is that over the course of this conversation, he lists out all of his reasons for being an atheist and all the reasons that God can't possibly exist. And so God takes notes for all the excuses he gives and says, oh, so in order for you to believe in me, you need this and this and this kind of situation. And the guy's like, no, no, I don't want to Mm -hmm. So in order to believe in me, you need to live like this. Well, and God is trans is like his consciousness is going to person to person to a bird to the conductor uh, to the the, the, tr the train driver. It's yeah. just it's just one of those scenes where everybody's frozen, but you know, but at once well, at once one, one of the bodies starts speaking, and then without... it immediately transfers to somebody else. Yeah. right next after that. Yeah, Real cool stuff. Which re reminded me of another TV series. Um, uh, what was it? Uh... Joan of Arcadia um, was a, uh, a a U.S. TV series where this girl it was a it was a procedural where this girl had to solve some people's problems and she spoke to God and God was a random stranger. Just it was a different person every episode. It was a different actor every episode. It was just a random stranger would come up to her and then say something, and then she would know it was God talking to her. Gotcha. And it, and the um. The uh, the opening credit song was Alanis Morissette's "What If God Was One of Us." <laughs> um, um, okay, so so it, it was in the same vein of that kind of a show, mm -hmm. but for this given scene and all these all these, and yeah, the the biggest thing the biggest thing is that even while he's talking to him, he denies the existence, and the entire crowd turns and goes, "What." <laughs> Like m multiple heads at the same yeah. time. Like it, up to this point, it was one As person. As he at is time. talking with God right now, he he accuses him of being the devil and not God, um, because only the devil would be, get take pleasure out of you know a world like this and a situation like this. But he's like, yeah, you, but I refuse to acknowledge your existence. And like every single head in the crowd turns to him and just says, pretty much, what? <laughs> uh-huh like are you an idiot yeah like you're really gonna hold on to your pride that much even though you're talking with me right now yeah type thing and he's like oh, okay so here's the thing i'm in charge i'm not actually god but i'm in charge of reincarnating humans mm -hmm. um and there are seven billion humans right now there's a lot there's a lot for me to do so people who don't believe in god people like you i don't bring them back so that's how i manage things <laughs> Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're giving you one more life, uh, you're, and you're going to have all your memories. Um, and, but be careful, because if you die, that's it. No more. Yeah. Like, no more reincarnation for you. Um, and so he puts him in a situation where it's kind of a, get, a bet between this being that he calls being X yeah. and the main character. Uh -huh. uh, whether or not he's going to believe in God before the end of it all. Right. Um, and he... Uh, now, so, something we mentioned, uh, something mm -hmm. I wrote down here was how this situation was a mirror of what happened in uh, that time I was reincarnated as a slime. Is when he when that guy dies in the first episode of that show, he the uh, events transpire where as he's dying, the complaints he has of being registered by some system admin and says, "Okay, you don't want to be able to bleed." You don't want to feel hot or cold. Mm -hmm. and, and so he he gets picked in a slime body for all the reasons that he's complaining about while dying. Mm -hmm. And a very similar thing is happening in this scene, where everything he's complaining about becomes where he's getting reincarnated to. Mm -hmm. And the situation he's going to be in. So he's not going to be in a place where peace reigns and prosperity is everywhere. He's going to go to a place where there's war and pestilence and famine and poverty. And so they're sending him. And so 
And the, now, when I said earlier, the reason I noted that I thought he was being born in 1913 is he died in 2013. Okay. 2013 is when he died, and then mm-hmm. cut to 1913 of this parallel universe where he's being spoon-fed, but he's now a little girl being called Tanya-chan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was the indication of... And, and, no, they they did show they 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 didn't show a birth per se, but they showed op- the opening of eyes and baby crying. Yes, they showed the opening of eyes. They showed baby crying, and then they showed her being fed, and then it mm-hmm. cut outside of the orphanage where she's being raised, mm-hmm. where Tani's being raised, and that's when it gave us the timestamp. And then as soon as it gave us the timestamp, it went back into her being older. That's what th- is throwing me off with the entire thing, because mm-hmm. timestamps happen at the beginning of scenes, not at the end of scenes. At least if they're done properly. Sometimes. Most of the time. Absolutely most of the time. At least Mm 99.9% of the time, yes. But sometimes they Mm -hmm. introduce a scene and then they establish. Okay. Well, and and I'm thinking of of them doing that as well. But they don't... When they do that, they don't jump forward in time right afterwards. Mm. Which is exactly what they did just then. They did... They do so jump forward a couple years where she's maybe three or four, mm-hmm. and they're and she's in the orphanage, and the nuns are having a hard time uh, mm-hmm. keeping financially su- supporting the orphanage, and there is a great difference between the rich and the poor, uh-huh. and the poor are becoming more and more. Um, angry with their lot in life and and that anger is the precursor is the societal precursor to war is when a people is that angry is is his uh is the thing that he said um okay. people were marching in the streets saying down with the enemies of the empire and mm-hmm. yeah okay um so he then so uh he then learns that uh, magic exists, exists in this world, yeah. and they come and they test him at whatever age, or she learns that magic exists in this world, and then she learns that she has an incredible ability with magic at a very young age. And she also learns that in this country, uh, and, and this is where she learns that the world is like, this is pretty much an alternate history Earth, mm-hmm. where it's after the time of World War II, World War One already, but mm-hmm. uh, the war hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, and she... Um, she she learns that in this country all mages are conscripted into the military at some point. Yeah. At some point they have to serve, um, and so she decides rather than being conscripted, she's going to go ahead and volunteer at the age of nine. Mm-hmm. And um, she then uh, she she then leaves. She goes up to the uh, to the uh, to, recruiter to the recruiter, and the recruiter's like, yeah. "Why does someone so young want to serve?" And she just pretty much tells him uh, it's because I've made my choice that I want to defend my country. Um, the the subtitle I read read um, this is the only path available to yeah, me. Yeah, this is the only path available. I thought about it. That that's right. That's right. That is what she says. This is the only path available to me because she's an mm-hmm. orphan. She doesn't have any other prospects. Be- military service is the only way she has to get, getting a life for herself mm-hmm. after. And so uh, she joins. And they show a shot of her, this nine-year-old little girl, surrounded by adult men who mm-hmm. are going through uh, officer training. Basic training, yeah. Basic training. And she, like, she does extremely well with magic training and all this stuff. Um, and 
we can and it's it's hinted the reason she's doing so well is because of her modern day brain in this small little girl's body yeah she she has the discipline of a 30 year old salary man Mm -hmm. in the body of a nine-year-old girl and she uh but um so and she's doing so well Mm -hmm. that after a single year of being at the academy um they give her her own men to look after give her her own unit of new new recruits yes and these guys do not respect her at all no. and to the point i have to a where... little sister older than this thing mm-hmm. is she trying to be scary mm-hmm. and, and she's calling them maggots but her vo- the voice that comes out is completely adorable mm-hmm. um yep yeah um so uh and then uh she disciplines one of the soldiers yeah so the the gentleman we saw earlier, we had, haven't described him yet. He's got short, uh, basic cut, uh, bluish hair, and is wearing a very thin pair of glasses. And he looks like the stereotypical anime character of that trope, Ishida mm-hmm. from um, uh, Bleach, uh, the Shadow King from uh, what's it called? Um, Oron High School Host Club. Uh, all all of these characters that are just tall. Um, re- re- of a regal appearance with the glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, that ca- that archetype is this guy, and he's the one who, at the end of the last episode, said the line, "She is the devil in the body of a little girl." Mm-hmm. He is in this courtyard addressing other soldiers when the wall behind him blows out three stories up, and. He's shouting, what is going on? And we see that this guy who had intended to disrespect Tanya is now on the ground. And Tanya flies out of that hole, armed with a rifle, prepared to discipline her troop. Mm-hmm. She flies down and then he starts badmouthing her again. And he hold- she holds the bayonet up to him. Yeah. And, he's saying- and she says that you had more than enough time to get ready for the day. Why aren't you ready? Type thing, you yeah. know? But, and she is, like, she raises the bayonet up and is about to strike him down with it. I will cut your head open and etch the rules on your brain if I have to. Yep. Oh, no, I will cut, I will break open your empty head and etch the rules inside. Yeah. Or etch the rules inside for you. And as she's about to uh, slam the bayonet into his head, this blue-haired officer, he's a lieutenant Mm -hmm. colonel at the time, Uh um, grabs the rifle and says, what are you doing? She says, disciplining a soldier, sir, as is my authority. (laughs) Yes. That that is the biggest thing for her right now, is that everything she's doing is 100%. She is 100% following the rules. Mm -hmm. She is not breaking a single rule, but just because she's not breaking the rules doesn't mean she isn't being completely evil. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She she is the lawful evil evil type. Yep, she very much is. Um, anyway, so she um. They then send her off um to go get a uh, special training or up north, and then for her final assignment before she graduates, uh, she's supposed to do a a scouting mm-hmm. uh, a scouting mission, a simple uh, peaceful a, a, scouting mission. Yep, just a scouting mission. Uh, and so she goes up and she starts reporting and stuff. And then she actually sees, <coughs> excuse me, troop movements. And she reports back. And um, the the woman says, all right, um, all right, cadet Tanya, you are uh, effective immediately. Effective immediately. You are, this is no longer your training exercise. This is an official mission. Second Lieutenant Tanya. 
So boom, right then and there, she become a yeah. second lieutenant. Kind of like that. Kind of like that. Um, uh, when Vader's killing Admiral Ozzel, and he's all um, uh, talking to Captain Piet, says, "You are in command now, Admiral Piet." Admiral just Piet. a promotion by name over mm-hmm. the radio. Um, but anyway, he uh, shoot. Um, and so she, so, so she's up mm-hmm. in the sky, and she's giving, and she starts giving, or she starts relaying information to the artillery of mm-hmm. where to fire on these troops. Yes, yeah, she pulls out binoculars and she gives the distance, the range, where they are, and uh, and they do a test shot at her command, mm-hmm. and they fire, and it hits them almost exactly. They're like ten points, and she's like, "Great!" Yeah, uh, she she kept, gives them the margin of error, and that what correct margin of terror error of ten. Uh-huh. And then as soon as she does that, the artillery just starts opening fire on this line of troops. Yeah, decimating this, annihilating these troops. Mm-hmm. It's it's devastating. And then a group of mages fly in mm-hmm. and try to um, and try to uh, like they try to cover their soldiers' escape. And they're like, well, we can't take out the artillery. So no, but we can take out their observers. Yes. And they go and they see that there's just one observer, and she's this little girl. Mm-hmm. And this little girl is flying away from them. And Tanya's asking for permission to retreat, permission to get out of there. And they say, negative, you must remain on the battlefield. Um, reinforcements will be there in 600 seconds. Which is... T- ten minutes. Ten minutes. And so Tanya freaks out. Um, and in my mind, you know... Sometimes that's sometimes it's just not possible to get reinforcements there in time, but a ten minute window where you are alone on the battlefield is a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So part of me wonders if, you know, the fact that she was so violent to other crew people that maybe somebody had it in for her at that particular moment. It's never discussed in the first mm-hmm. three episodes, but I had a feeling that that ten minute window seemed like a death sentence. Could be. Could be, but it turned out to be a death sentence for six of the enemy. Yes. Um, and out of the ten soldiers that were after her, she kills six of them. Yeah. Uh, she just uh, she just throws everything away and charges them immediately. She she gives up on life, and it is it's at this moment that I wrote this note down. Um, she her eyes get a certain level of crazy in her. She drops her uh, radio, and any unnecessary uh, equipment on her. And gets her gun ready, and her eyes go absolutely crazy, and it reminded me of some scenes from Code Geass, where Jeremiah, called Orange by uh, Lelouch, mm-hmm. um, he just goes nuts because Lelouch has destroyed his honor. Mm-hmm. This is the only thing he lives for, and he's just... That, that style of animation where the face is just distorted and crazy. And I I, I, want, I started looking up who the studio was and whether or not people involved with Code Geass mm-hmm. uh, started doing the animation on this show as well. Because it just it, it had such a mm-hmm. familiar vibe to it during this scene. But the scene was absolute, was beautifully animated as well. Mm-hmm. She's able to, she's able to, because she's so much smaller than them, she's harder, she's not as big of a target that they're used to hitting, mm-hmm. so it's harder for them to hit her. Uh, she then just uh, opens up on them and takes out several of them. She takes out two of them by mm-hmm. her, um, uh, with, with just her gun, um, but then she's out of ammo, and uh-huh. they're like, oh, she's out of ammo, we've got her. But then she throws away her gun and just gets this crazy smile on her face, and her eyes just go... Like, her eyes get bigger, uh-huh. and her irises get smaller. Yes. Just one of those crazy smiles. Yes. And she just flies directly at them. 
and just starts wreaking havoc on them. Like, she, mm-hmm. instead of using a gun, she just starts hitting them. And then uh, one of them loses sight of her, and she grabs him from behind and yeah. just says, Gotcha. Yeah. And then you see the pendant on her neck, um, which we find out later is a tool she uses to channel her magic through. Mm-hmm. Starts glowing brighter and brighter, and then cracks. And we see what appears to have been a suicide explosion. Mm-hmm. And the leader him. and the leader of the soldiers just sees that his men just got decimated by this one soldier. Yeah. Um, and uh, she takes out, and so she, it after they've left, she then her body then emerges, and she's got like the yeah. remnants of a shield spell around her to protect yeah. her from the uh, from the explosion from her own suicide explosion. Mm-hmm. And she starts falling to the ground with, and she's falling to the ground limply. Which gives the impression, and the the um the what she's saying gives the impression that she is planning on faking on by falling in this way and pretending that she killed herself in that explosion. She wouldn't be she wouldn't be attacked by the surviving four. They would assume she had died mm-hmm. and and just leave her to mm-hmm. fall to her death. But she's also talking to herself about how she did something. Uh, she did something easily that looked like it should have been super hard because Uh she was smart about it and that's the way to have an easy relaxing life and no one's going to go ahead and make her do hard things after this not after what she just did on the battlefield Mm -hmm. um the thing is is, is, the next scene the thing is this this as as this as this genius businessman salary man learns he knows nothing of the battlefield no he knows nothing about how battlefield and officers and soldiers actually think. Um, you really think they're going to let an asset like that remain on the back lines? <laughs> but anyway, so so the next thing, she's in the hospital, bandages over her arm in a cast, lying in bed, surrounded mm-hmm. by uh, officials, uh, br- the brass, the, uh, the military higher ups, um, in full dress uniform bestowing upon her the honor of the silver wings mm-hmm. are they and she's like did i do too good have i caused a problem for myself mm-hmm. <laughs> as they uh mm-hmm. and so she she has this smile plastered on her face of what have i gotten myself into mm-hmm. as they lay the uh the the badge on the pillow next to her mm-hmm. head and um yeah um so that's the end of episode two and that's the first time we get the closing credits Um, but the closing credits at this point are the opening credits Mm -hmm. which is weird that they didn't do that for episode one there were no credits at all for episode one um episode two they had the closing credits which is again the song by myth and roid um and then we get to episode three and episode three is takes place after she's recovered yes she's in her full officer's uniform and she's getting her dispatch orders and her dispatch orders are a nice safe place far from the front where she would be um, troop training, troop, tra- troop training. Yeah, she's mm. she's being assigned drill sergeant because she is considered an ace, um, and and well, and it would just be bad four form con- to have a four nine confirmed hero- kills, two suspected, uh, unconfirmed kills. Yeah. So yeah, that's she, six kills. Yeah. Then, so in, in in her first mission, mm-hmm. uh, and so she's she's regarded as an ace, and she. Um, and while it is common practice for aces to be used on frontline missions when necessary, mm-hmm. they don't want to lose their aces to accidents and happenstance. So they, um, especially they, they when use they them, use them as they propaganda. Use, they use them sparingly. So yeah, they, he's, mm-hmm. but yeah, basically. So they decide that you know 
For a nine-year-old ace, the best thing to do is to have her train new recruits so that she is a form of inspiration for new recruits, Mm -hmm. is their line of thinking. And she's ecstatic about this. There's this great great go between between her and the officer giving her, uh, or this great inner monologue for her where she's just like, this is exactly what I want, this is great, but I can't make it seem like that this is what I want. So... She starts questioning it, and he says, "Well, we understand that, but so and blah blah blah." And she's like, "Well, well, I guess there's nothing else to really be done about it. I'll go ahead and accept." Yeah. Um, and uh, as she's talking to herself about how this is great, this is exactly what I want. Within, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go. And ahead this is and be part nice. of the editing that, that and we this just is, love about this. This is just show. the great, great editing in the show. And in Japanese, this is one continuous sentence. There's no change in the sentence at all. In English, there's a bit of a change when you're uh-huh. reading the subtitles. But just the way they worked it out in Japanese, she is complimenting herself for her brilliance and then with and then in the the way the word ends is uso which those of you who know japanese know that uso uso is like saying no way or you're like like that's not true like oh you're a liar you know type thing like uso you know uh, uh something like that and so she the sentence ends like that, but she says so differently, meaning that it's, you know, it's, 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 it's so, so it's a standalone phrase. It means you're lying, but, but, but it was a, the end of a word that you were expecting. It was the end of a word you were expecting. It was the expected ending of the word, but, uh, the way she said it, it's definitely the standalone uh-huh. meaning of it. But, and she's saying, and she is then flying around experimental magical devices and exploding. That are exploding on her. Yes. They're, they're, they're her. blowing her up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, episode three starts with her being involved with this doctor, who is um, she's like, I realize that the military is meritocratic, but how did this quack get this high up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As this doctor keeps putting her, he he keeps blaming her for the failure of the equipment, and she keeps saying that it's faulty equipment, which upsets yes. him because yeah. his designs are perfect. <laughs> And in theory, it works. Why can't you do it? It worked perfectly theoretically. What? Why are you breaking my stuff? Your stuff's crap. <laughs> Make something that works. Is the constant conversation between these two. And it's, it's very, very... It's implied with the way that they're talking to each other. Where a lot of their stuff is in, like, again. Uh, like, you did this again type thing. Uh-huh. So, uh, it's very it's very heavily implied that this is not the first time they've had this conversation. Um, no. And she wants nothing to do with it. Um, she wants no more... She wants nothing to do with um, with that quack and his experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, we in this episode though, um, she she's she's had so much crap with him. We see this happen a couple of times um, where she gets blown up in the sky because of this guy's. Uh, this guy has created a quad core necklace instead mm-hmm. of just the the single core or whatever it is we don't know what's inside of it but yes and instead that, of it being a square red necklace uh-huh. it's a circular red one yes mm-hmm. which reminded me a lot of the uh the gem the emblem that mm-hmm. uh uh mrs brisby has in the secret of nim mm-hmm. it was a, a red gem in a circle of yeah. gold mm-hmm. yeah but this one is is exactly like that except the gem appears to be going through on both sides and there is a uh there's a german cross just above it as well mm-hmm. so it's it's very similar mm-hmm. in col- in color and style but there's just a couple of differences that make it a bit more unique but right before tanya's had enough and right before she and she actually writes a letter advising that these these experimentations end because it's just it's not they've wasted way too much money on it mm-hmm. um but she um 
she says to him, and he's like, well, why can't you just do it right? And she just says to him, anything can go wrong, Will. <laughs> it's a famous law where I'm from. You who said such a stupid who thing? Such a, who said such a stupid thing? And uh, that that's a... Uh, Murphy's Law was very, very famous in my family growing up. There's a oh, straight yes. book about Murphy's Law. But yeah, it's uh, Murphy's Law is anything we, we, that can go wrong will. We we had a book of Murphy's Law, and it was a tab pull book where mm-hmm. you where they had specialty pages, and you pulled a tab, and something on the page moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of my favorites was if you switch from one line to another, the line you were just in will start moving faster. And mm-hmm. so you pull this tab, and the guy jumps from one line to the other, and the other line starts moving faster. Mm-hmm. Or if your if your arriving flight is is late, your departing flight will be early. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so we get a little bit of a Murphy's Law uh, mm-hmm. of uh, from there. But yeah, she she then she writes to s- some higher ups and advises that they, that they cancel she, she, the experiment. Well, she she puts in a request for transfer. Oh, that's right. I thought. And what happens is instead of a request for transfer. They just stop the experiments. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, because and the guy and just something that happens is that the guy who's looking at the request for transfer notice um, uh, looks at what's going on and says, "I have a daughter her age, approved." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's some and, and I could tell immediately that he was stamping the word "approved" on it because it's. It's English-ish letters. Yeah, it's English-ish letters. It's <laughs> English it. enough for you to recognize it at a glance. Yeah. Um, but don't stare too hard long at it. No. Um, but anyway... Um, like, the V is actually mm-hmm. a three-pointed V, where the, the mm-hmm. two sides are really long, but there's also a narrow yeah. center. Mm-hmm. And it's so so it's it's not English, but it's English. It's English-ish. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, Tan... Uh, Tanya then gets super happy that mm-hmm. the experiments have been brought to a halt, that it's just way too, you know, it's been, it's costed them way too much money to, to get it to work. Um, and then she goes to bed, but as she goes to bed, she notices that time has stopped once again. She was literally just thinking, ah, oh, the easy life. I actually kind of feel sorry for that being X and not getting his way. But I'm now finally living the easy life. And then time stops. So she tempted fate with that thought. Yep. And she starts talking to him and stuff like that. And uh, he has possessed the nutcracker in her room. Yes. Um, and uh, he tells her that, oh, well, oh, so, and she's like, I still don't accept that you're God. Yeah. He said, oh, well, I guess it's time for me to perform a miracle then, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to part the Red Sea? Are you going to turn water to turn wine? water into wine type thing? And uh, he's... And then he just waves away the existence of miracles as overhyped misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. Overhyped misunderstandings. Uh, and he... And I forget exactly what Being X does, but he says something to set Tanya off. And she sma- She grabs and smashes, or just smacks... The uh, Nutcracker onto the ground mm-hmm. completely. Oh, which, by the way, we noticed this in the opening credit sequences. There's a scene of a Nutcracker behind glass, and there appears to be a gun trying to shoot the Nutcracker, and it shatters the glass, but the Nutcracker is unscathed. Mm-hmm. It's that Nutcracker in the opening credits, or just like, oh, so no wonder why... Tanya's trying to shoot the no Nutcracker. No Tanya's trying to shoot it. <laughs> and so, but no, she, she smacks... The Nutcracker off of her desk, and it lands on the ground and shatters into a bunch of pieces where the top teeth up is still intact, and it's looking right at her and keeps mm-hmm. talking and to keeps her. And keeps talking to her. And he says that he's going to go ahead and perform a miracle for her. 
um, and he gets, and he, uh, and he, um, and then Tanya wakes up and she looks at her desk and she sees that the, um, she sees, uh, the Nutcracker is just fine. Yeah. And, but she walks over and she sees a piece of paper beneath the Nutcracker. And on the piece of paper, it says... The title of the episode, which is... Deus lo vol- yeah. vox. Mm-hmm. De- which is uh, the uh, Latin for God wills it. I actually did a Google search and mm-hmm. uh, it talked about how that was the slogan of knights d- during the during the Crusades because mm-hmm. it literally translates to God will God wills it. Yeah, yeah. It's it was the Crusaders' um, battle cry. Um, but they. Uh, but anyway, um, it's the next day, and apparently they're doing one more flight test one more experiment mm-hmm. um and uh tanya is completely against it but you know it's the last day so she's gonna go ahead and do it um and as she's in the air uh the scientist starts talking and says don't worry i had a vision from god last night aren't you I, an atheist i had a vision from god last night everything's gonna work out just fine he inspired me on how what i needed to do and tanya's like wait what god wait we're, I thought you were a stout atheist. Says, yes, but now I'm a complete believer. A devout believer. Now I'm a devout believer. And Tanya starts getting pissed and stuff. And uh, she... Uh, and the equipment on her is starting to malfunction. Mm-hmm. And he says, pray to God. He will help you. But he... And she starts she starts pulling the cross on the gem to uh, try to get the safety to uh-huh. to kick in to where she, you know a field or something will go over her so she can go ahead and be protected from the explosion. Um, but nothing's working. Nothing at all is working. And then the guy says, pray to God, he'll protect you. Yeah, and God, she, God told me to disable the safety. Pray to him. Pray to him. <laughs> and, uh, and then Tanya gets so pissed. She's just like, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you went this far. Um, and time freezes again. And time freezes again. And he says, I have just put a curse on you. From now on, in order to use your magic, you must pray to me. And spread the word of me to and those of <laughs> Yep. Like, he, he's, turned, he's turned her into an unwitting prophet for her. For mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. You must spread the word of me. Yeah. Kind of like type thing. And he appears as Which a giant version of the Nutcracker in the sky. In the sky. In like, ah. Which is just terrifying. Which actually reminded me a little bit of uh, Drosselmeyer from Princess Tutu. Because he's just as scary and omnipresent. <laughs> Suddenly, Fakir. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he... Um... Shoot. Um... Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary, our good friend. Um, anyway, um... the time returns to normal and she prays. Yes. And she prays. Um, just a simple prayer. And then after she prays, the magic works. Yes. And the machine works just fine. Her her red pendant mm-hmm. glows gold, her eyes glow gold, and the machine works perfectly. But for her only, as it turns out. Yeah, only for her. It's because she's she's the only one powerful enough to use it. Yes. As they explain in the show. She's the only one who has the magical capabilities to use this device. Mm-hmm. Um, Through divine intervention. Mm-hmm. And uh, that and that's the same circle that she was writing in the first episode, yes. rather than the squares like the other majors will. Yeah, write. so so we're establishing where she, why she prays, 
where she got mm-hmm. some of her abilities from, how how she is as powerful as she is. Mm-hmm. Did we mention that she prays in episode one in order to cast her spells? I'm pretty yes, sure we did. Yes, yeah, we I do. just want to make sure. That she, she mm-hmm. made a big prayer just mm-hmm. before annihilating the three uh, mm-hmm. units. And then she gets called. And then after that experiment and the, the success of the experiment, um, we see it cuts back to the now. And she's just received orders mm-hmm. to go to the capital. And um, she gives orders to, uh, she apparently has pulled some strings mm-hmm. and she has now put the brunette in the officers. Yeah, the, the big eyed brunette. The big eyed brunette. Uh, she's put her in the officers training program mm-hmm. and the brunette is suspicious. Yes. And she says to her, um, this isn't going to end with artillery firing on me, is it? <laughs> and she just shrugs it off in disgust. Like, how, just... how would you, how dare you ask me that question? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, she, uh, Ta- uh, Tanya then gets on the train, uh, but there's a bit of a flashback. There's a scene between her and, uh, there's a scene between her and the commanding officer. There's a scene between her and the brunette again. And I just wrote down the brunettes, uh, for one of my things about the show was, uh, the brunettes, um, going away present yes. where she gives her this lovely, lovely dress and says, this is, this would look so good on you. And yeah. Tanya's just like. You realize that you're a fully grown woman and I'm yeah. a child. Yeah, right? what, what, the way the way it's shot is it demonstrates that it just reminds us the brunette has breasts Assets. and hips and Tanya's still ten. It's like this will never fit me. Then you're she, a growing girl; it'll fit you eventually. It'll fit you eventually, but yeah, Tanya is just like I, you, you. You realize that you're a fully grown woman and I'm still a child, right? You know, something like that. <laughs> you're a growing girl; it'll fit you eventually. Uh, but yeah, it's just then, an adorable scene from a mm-hmm. pure-hearted girl. But Tanya's been ordered to come to the capital, and again, she thinks it's the start of her easy life, the life mm-hmm. of a soldier living in the capital. Yes. Um, but uh, we then see, at the end of that episode, uh, one of the generals, a man in gray hair, who we've seen throughout the first couple episodes. Yes. Um, he is pulled out a file, and that file is titled... Um, well, he, he, mm-hmm. he, he's got... Uh, they, they're trying to de- set up a special unit. They were mm-hmm. talking about some... That, that uh, one of the other generals, reform. yeah, they're going to reform the uh, the unit that uh, defends our borders. The, they're going, they're going to re, they're going to, they're still going with their plan of entrenching in along the borders uh-huh. to hold off the enemy. And the 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 mobile, the super mobile unit is they're trying to reform that is what they're planning on doing. Mm-hmm. And they've got this file of candidates for the super mobile unit, and one of those files on the back has Deus Lo Volt yes. written on it. God wills it, and he pulls it out and it's tanya's sheet so it's as though god himself put her name into this particular unit because she thought she was getting an easy life and god's like nope and that's where episode three ends and then we finally see the closing credits for the first time Mm -hmm. which is another which is i think is it the same song it's a different song for the closing Mm -hmm. credits um at least I think it is. It's still, anyway, it's still Myth mm-hmm. and Royd, and it's one of their mm-hmm. cl- is their classic style. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great the uh, the montage of just different crazy shots of her, and some of them I I swear some of them are images direct from uh, manga covers or uh, graphic novel covers could because be because I think I've seen them. I think I've seen okay. those covers, and they looked familiar. Okay. Uh, anyway. Um... That's it for Saga of Tanya the Evil. I would would like to watch more. It's very engaging. It's got my interest. It's It's, it's a great pacing in the first three episodes. There's not a moment of dullness. And I know exactly who I'm going to recommend this to. Our friend Lee, 
Oh. She is a tiny girl. Yes. She is tiny, but uh, she refers to herself as an evil overlord. She so does. her seeing a show about an evil Loli uh-huh. will probably delight her. It probably will, to uh, be honest. Uh, so yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so and so and sometimes when we're in the same room together and people are confusing the two of us between her and because we, we're just by first name only, we match. Um, but we're not alike in any way at all. Um, I try to sometimes I think of myself as the goodly, and then I have to realize I have to word this differently. The less evilly, the like less yes, evil-y. I can accept that you are the less evilly. <laughs> was her reply to me. Okay. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, so the saga of Tiny the Evil gets uh, gets a pass from both of us. Not really, uh, like not a pass, but definitely want to watch more. Absolutely. Um, so next week it's my pick, mm-hmm. and I have picked a show from summer of 2017 called Aho Girl. Aho, real fast, mm-hmm. is Japanese for idiot. Yes. Okay. So the show uh, is literally yeah, I, titled Idiot I, Girl. I learned this during the, one of the early episodes of Naruto oh, when yeah. there was a crow flying through the episode sky. 50 or, <laughs> episode 50 or something yep. like that. Or episode, I don't remember. Anyway, she is Hanabatake Yoshiko. Huh. And she's an idiot through and through. She loves bananas. And she loves her childhood friend Akun. That is all. Summer 2017, Aho Girl gets its long-awaited anime. Watching it will surely cheer you up. Probably? <laughs> all right so that's what we're gonna be watching for next week okay and next up is recommendation of the week um so i can finally recommend this because i finally gotten to play it i've been wanting to play this ever since it came out and things have finally turned around for me um i got a christmas bonus at work where they gave me a gift card to uh, uh a, a substantial gift card to um what's it called uh, best buy Mm-hmm. And I picked myself up a Nintendo Switch and one game, The Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda. And I've been playing it pretty much every day since I got it last week. It was, uh, early bir- it was a birthday present to myself um, to justify opening it before, Christa- before Christmas. Um and uh, I've been playing it pretty much constantly. I'm uh, uh, struggling, and it's it's been interesting. I've struggled with it at first because you know I'm every Zelda it's game such a different Zelda experience. It is. I mean, it's the old Zelda games were very uh, like back. It's really pulling back from its roots. Like it, the promise that I heard from uh, from you particularly, but from uh, different things that they've said uh, was that. Um, Breath of the Wild was going back to the original Zelda where it didn't really, you were no longer stuck on a linear path level to level. You were allowed to completely explore a wide open world mm-hmm. and try to complete levels in whatever order you could. Mm-hmm. Um, now in the original Zelda, there were levels that said, okay, this is now level one. This is level two. And to be honest, whenever I played it, I always beat it one, two, three, four, five. Seven, six, eight. Because seven was easier for me than six. Six is full of whiz robes. It is. Six is awful. It's such a terrible dungeon. I was just needed that extra heart container to get through six. Mm. Seven wasn't so bad by comparison. Um, okay. But um, for uh, this game, um, I'm, a co- I'm many hours into it. And I, I'm so used to other Zeldas that if something is hard... Then there had to be a way of solving it in every other Zelda game. 
And But in this one, I ran into three dead ends at the same time. I couldn't get into the Zora world because it was always thundering and I had made the mistake of buying complete plate mail for myself and selling my other equipment. And so I only had the plate mail to wear, so I kept getting struck by lightning trying to get into the Zora realm and dying mm-hmm. immediately. Um, I tried to complete some of the side quests that were offered in the village just before that. Uh, the Hano village where the, the, old la- the old lady who turned herself into a little girl is mm-hmm. who um one of the people down there talked about um how they're the the spirit of wisdom needed uh uh up on top of this mountain needed help and so i decided to try that oh, quest that's a rough one too and so i and i did that with only i started it with only five hearts and i got two of the four eyes on the back of the dragon before i ended up with so little lives I only had five hearts, ran out of the food, found out that, uh, um, food doesn't stack, food doesn't, uh, food, be- food benefits don't stack mm-hmm. and only had two items that had the, the two, the, the two levels of defense that I needed when I was that high up instead of one level of, de- of cold <laughs> defense. Um, so I kept eating all my apples trying to stay alive long enough and I got to the point where I only had two arrows left and I thought maybe I can do this. No. <laughs> no, I can't do this. And so ultimately, I ended up... How did you get past the Lionel? Um, I... Went around? I went around the Lionel. <laughs> I, I did not even try to get to that Lionel. I climbed the mountain around him mm-hmm. and then went up. That's what I did. The Lionel's still that, out there. He's still alive. And never... I, I yet... I mean, I I approached the... I. When I finally got the uh, the um, the champion armor and could see hit points on creatures, and I took one look at that Lionel, and it had a number in like the twenty six hundred hit point range, I'm like going around, cli- just, climbing a sheer cliff and going around. Just wait until you fight the silver Lionel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the 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 weapons I'm having getting right now, like the most powerful weapon I've gotten, is a number of thirty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm nowhere. Mm-hmm. I'm nowhere near the level I need to be to uh to beat some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I was able to finish the Zora quest. Um, and take care of that uh that dragon today. Good deal. So, I'm and so now I'm I'm kind of wrapping up the little areas that I've opened up, and I'm looking forward to expanding into the world. And in fact. I just tamed my first horse, too. Nice. Which you saw me do earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw you riding the horse. I didn't see you tame it. Well, you had walked in right after I got the saddle. Gotcha. Okay, uh, so that's it for Recommendation of the Week. It's time for Creator Shoutout. Yes. It's my turn. Go for and it. And I'm going to go ahead and shout out. This isn't really a creator, but it's somebody who I follow on Twitter and think that, you know, he does some good work. Mm-hmm. This is Wario64. Wario64 on Twitter, um, all that he does is he posts deals um, uh, for video games and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, uh, it's just a super simple thing at Wario64 on Twitter. And if you're interested in getting good deals on video games, follow him, and you know he'll send and he'll just send out uh, info on deals and stuff. Fantastic. So, yeah. All, All right. right. Well, thanks so much for listening in this week. If you listen to it on YouTube, please feel free to like this episode and subscribe subscribe to our channel. If you like what we do and want to support us, please spread the word of our podcast or even support us on Patreon. Where can they find us on social media? On our site, WhitakerWeekly.com, we currently have links to our Facebook page, Twitter account, Patreon page, and YouTube channel. We encourage our listeners 
to follow us on the social media platform of their preference. And if there's one we're not on yet, please reach out to us on the one, one of the ones we've mentioned, and we'll broaden our scope to include you. All right. Well, I want, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to Ben Coombs for providing the artwork for our podcast. And another shout out to Brasmatas for their song Dreikolk, which we use for our opening and closing credits. All right. Well, that's it for another episode. I've been Andrew. I've been Lee. And this has been Whitaker Weekly. You guys have a great week.